Psalm 91, we're working our way through this psalm. Um, I'm going to have Sister Kim read it to you in just a moment. But uh, let's thank God for the word. And we're going to start in verse 13 of Psalm 91 tonight. And let's see, how far are we going to get? Give me a couple verses. Well, Father, we thank you tonight for this psalm. We thank you tonight for all the precious treasure that you've tucked in your word for those who seek you with their whole hearts. Father, let that be our testimony that we sought after you with our whole hearts. Father, whatever would divide our hearts, whatever would captivate our hearts, Father, we just drop all of those things at your feet and we declare that you are the only one on the throne of our hearts. So Holy Spirit, reveal the word to us tonight and allow it to minister to us. Father, I pray tonight that we would get set free from bad theology and wrong thinking that we would walk in the fullness of our spiritual authority by the time this message is done. I pray it in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Sister Kim. One. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked." Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you, to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me to Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen. Well, tonight we're just going to cover verse 13. Let me read it to you. You will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Uh, the version, the King James says tread. We're going to look at that. Some versions call the serpent a dragon. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Let's take a look at what's happening here. Uh, you're going to tread on the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Now, the psalmist shift gears here from focusing on our divine protection that comes from him, and we learned about his covering, uh, having relationship with him that brings covenant connection. Also, we learned about angels. Thank God we have ministering angels that are around us right now that are protecting us from the schemes of the devil. Amen. Uh, we have all this protection. So, you know, it's focusing on what we have through covenant and relationship with Jesus Christ and the Father. And then all of a sudden, we're going to shift gears here, as the psalmist does, from divine protection that comes from God uh, to the spiritual authority we have in Jesus Christ. Now, you say, well, this is, a, this is an Old Testament psalm, absolutely, talking about 
you know, what was to come in the New Testament through Jesus Christ, amen? And that divine protection that comes from the Father is coupled now with the spiritual authority we have in Jesus Christ. How many people here tonight belong to Jesus Christ? How many people tonight have him in their life as Savior and Lord? Amen. Then you have spiritual authority to trample over all the works of darkness. Ah, that wasn't a good enough amen. You have spiritual authority to trample over all the works of darkness. Amen. We got to get this. I'll tell you why. Because if we don't, the enemy will take advantage of us and exploit us. The only reason we have things in our life going on right now that the enemy is allowed to construct and bring against us and keep us uh, tied down to is because we don't understand our spiritual authority in Jesus Christ. I'm so excited about this tonight because I think when you get this, it's going to change the way that you deal with the kingdom of darkness all around you. So here we, we go from divine protection to spiritual authority. So many Christians don't understand the scope of spiritual authority that has been given to them in Christ. Now, the result of that lack of understanding uh, is twofold. Number one, because we don't understand what we have in our authority, we don't enjoy the victory and the abundant life that Jesus died to give us. <laughs> we, <laughs> we are supposed to live in victory. We are supposed to have abundant life. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I would venture to say that many Christians are not living in those things right now. We feel like we get our butt kicked all the time. We, every time we turn around, the enemy's doing something. The day is just one hit after another. Come on, anybody else besides me? And, and God wants to show us how to overcome those things, amen? Because, you know, Jesus died to give us that abundant life. And the second thing that comes from that lack of understanding is we are harassed and exploited and deceived by a defeated foe. Let me tell you something tonight. The devil is defeated. Jesus, when he said it is finished, he wasn't kidding, amen? He, he's got him beat. He broke the power of sin. If the power of sin wasn't broken, we could never come into a covenant relationship with the Father and have the free gift of salvation, the very fact tonight that you and I are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit of God, sealed with his spirit, means that the power of sin has been broken. So, you know what, we don't have to yield our members to unrighteousness. We don't have to be overtaken by the enemy. Yet somehow, someway, we're harassed and exploited and deceived, and it's because we don't understand the authority we have. Newsflash for the body of Christ. We are not the victims, we're victorious. We are not to run from the kingdom of darkness. We're to crush it. Come on, church. We are not meant, uh, we are not to, meant to, you know, just be overwhelmed all the time and, and, and on our heels and just defend. No, we were meant to forcefully push back, restrain, and defeat the works of darkness till Jesus takes the church out of the earth. Amen. That's a heck of an introduction. I need oxygen after that. I want to take a look at a scripture before we tear apart verse 13 here in Psalm 91. I want to take a look at some scriptures that talk about our spiritual authority. Now, Matthew 16, 18 through 19 is a pivotal scripture. I want you to write that down if you're taking notes tonight. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. It is such a misunderstood and misapplied verse. In fact, whole parts of uh, Christendom have taken it and, and applied some uh, interesting applications of it into their, you know, church structure. We're going to take a look at that tonight. But let me read to you Matthew 16, 18 through 19. 
And I say also unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Powerful, powerful scripture there, kind of outlining the scope of our spiritual authority. Now, let's clear something up right out of the box. If we take this text and apply the proper hermeneutical application of it, we interpret it correctly from the scripture, it's going to unlock some truth that will allow us to walk in our authority in the earth today. Now, listen, the rock that Jesus built his church on was not a man named Peter. Let me say that again. This side didn't say a thing. The rock that Jesus built his church on is not Peter. Okay, yet we have whole church systems that say that, yeah, Peter was the guy that Jesus built his church on, and now he's the pope, and we have this pope and this papal succession, and that's the guy who has the authority, and that's the guy who has the keys, and that's the guy who has the binding and loosing power. Now, I'm going to deconstruct all of that through Scripture for you so you never be fooled by that again. Understand something. The rock that the church is built on is not Peter, it's Jesus. Jesus is the rock that the church is built on. How Peter got involved in that whole mix is that Peter, remember, Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now that confession, listen to this, it wasn't Peter, but it was Peter's confession that allows you access into the kingdom of God. How do you and I get saved? We confess what Peter said, that Jesus Christ is Lord, amen, that he's the Christ. So Peter, uh, if you look at this text here, and you got to understand something, it only takes basic Greek to understand that the two different Greek words in here mean two different things. There's the word for Peter, which is Petra, and there's a word for the rock that the church is built on, and that's Petrus. There are two different Greek words. They have different tenses. One is singular masculine. That goes to Peter. The other one is feminine. Isn't that strange? Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ, amen? And the rock, that, the rock is Jesus Christ, amen, and his church is built on that. Now, track with me. There's more. Some of you are starting to glaze over. I'll slow down. Okay. Massage our brains a little. So here's the deal. If you study the Greek text, you're going to find that the word Peter and the word rock uh, of which the church is built on are two separate distinct words, okay? The word petros for Peter meaning, this is what petros means, a piece of rock, a stone, a single stone, a, mu a movable, insecure, shifting, rolling stone. Does that sound like Peter? Peter was what? Described as a reed blowing in the wind, right? So when the word uh, when the word Petra's used there, uh, it's talking about, Petros is used there, it's talking about Peter, and he's a, a stone. So, uh, you know, some people have called him a pebble, let's call him a stone. Uh, and that's what that word, that name Peter means. So he's a small movable stone. Now, the, the other word there, Petra, uh, that is a rock, it means a cliff or a projecting rock, a huge mass, a solid formation, fixed, immovable, and enduring. That's a big difference, isn't it? One's a little stone, one's bedrock, one's foundation. One can be moved and shifted and rolled. The other one is immovable. Are you getting this? So now, who is the Petra or the foundation stone, the rock that... 
Christ built the church on. Who is that? The Bible answers the question. Now, you've heard me talk about hermeneutics before. That's the art of Bible interpretation. One of the first laws of hermeneutics is you let Scripture interpret Scripture. I've seen so many preachers who are unschooled, uneducated, and untrained take something out of the word and preach it, and it has nothing to do with the text. It has nothing to do. It sounds nice. It sounds spiritual. Maybe it's even, you know, it's even theologically correct by other standards, but it's not what the text is saying. You've got to let the Bible interpret the Bible. So as we do that, who does the Bible say that the Petra is? And we let Scripture give us the answer so we know that the conclusion is authentic. 1 Corinthians 10.4, they drank of that spiritual rock, that word there in the Greek is Petra, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Did everybody hear that? Did you lose me already? Okay, so the Petra is Christ. It says it right here in 1 Corinthians 10.4. Jesus and God have always been described as a rock. Ephesians 2.20, and they are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Jesus is the rock. Deuteronomy 32, 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment and God of truth without iniquity, just and right. So God is the rock. Jesus is the rock. The Petra that the church is built on is Jesus Christ. The church is not built on a man. It's not built on an institution. It's not built on a religious system. It's built on the firm foundation of Jesus. So understand the church has spiritual authority, not just one man named Peter. Are you tracking with me? That, now, that, that gives some responsibility because now you and I are responsible for exercising our spiritual authority in the earth. We can't just, you know, give it over to a system or give it over to a man or say it's not my job, it's above my pay grade. We are the ones, the church of Jesus Christ, who become Christians through the confession that Peter gave us. We are the ones that wield the spiritual authority in the earth. Now, that should sober us all up right now, because with that comes responsibility. Verse 19 of Matthew 16 outlines two expressions of our spiritual authority, and understanding these and exercising them with boldness will revolutionize the way you and I deal with the kingdom of darkness. Number one, we've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Did you see that? How many people have keys with them tonight? Hopefully, if you drove here, you still have them. But keys are an interesting thing. Keys show that we have both authority and right of access. If you have the keys to your car, you, it's your car. You have authority. You have the right to open the door, to get in, to turn it on. You have authority over it, and you have the right of access. Look at, let's look at that. We have authority. It's not our own authority, but it comes directly from Jesus. Understand something, when it comes to spiritual authority, it's never us. You got to get this, because some people think it's them. And, you know, if you remember in Scripture, when the seven sons of Sceva were trying to cast out demons with Jesus' name, and they heard about Jesus, but they didn't belong to Jesus, what did the demons do to them? They beat them up bloody, tore them down naked, and sent them running for their lives. Okay, so understand, our spiritual authority is from Jesus. It's, it's never in us. It's not because we're good Christians. We read the word. We come to church because we're anointed. We're called to one of the fivefold ministries. Never. It always comes from Jesus. Now, if you know anything about law enforcement, every law enforcement officer has a badge, and that badge is a reminder of what authority stands behind that law enforcement officer. 
You could see a little tiny police officer and think, oh, there's nothing. I don't have to listen to them. But behind them stands their entire department. Behind them stands the state and the Constitution and the country. And, and everything is behind that officer. Why? Because of the badge. Are you tracking with me? So it's not just an individual with some authority. It's authority that's backed up by all of those things. Now, the church has a badge of spiritual authority, and when we wield it in Jesus Christ, God stands behind us. When you and I stand up and we, we take authority over something in the demonic realm or we take authority over sickness or whatever it is, when we do that in Jesus' name, it's not just us. It's the whole kingdom of heaven behind us. It's Jesus behind us. It's the Father behind us. Get this. Just as that police officer, when he stands up there, the, the, you might not be afraid of him, but be afraid what backs him. Because eventually, what you're going to get to is the Lord is behind the governmental authorities. When governmental authorities are just and they uphold holiness, uh, God supports them and stands behind them. It's the same for the church. We have a badge. We have authority. And God stands behind us when we use it. Now, the church is a, you know, it says here, you know, uh, that uh, we, we have access to the Lord. We have authority in the Lord. So I want you to understand that the church is a gateway for the lost. You know, we talk about keys. Keys open doors. What's the door that the church opens? It opens salvation to the lost. The church is the open door for those to come out of the darkness into the light and be saved. That's a powerful door. Amen. Many of you brought your friends here, your family here. You brought them to other churches. You brought them to Christian events. And what happens? That door opens, and they're pulled out of the darkness into the light, and the Holy Spirit touches them and transforms their lives. So the, the church is a door. The key opens it, our spiritual authority, and it's a gateway for the lost to be saved. The church is also the mechanism by which lives are transformed for service. Do you know what my job is? Not to entertain you, not, not to make you happy, not to marry you and bury you. My job is to equip you for spiritual service. Amen? Now, some people say, I'm getting out of here. I don't want to do anything. I'm just, I was just having a good time. No, you're being trained. For what? So you could fill up with the word. Some of us are so full of the word, sat under the anointing, heard so many good sermons. You look like a float at the Macy's parade. You're, you're, you're stuffed with it. And you got to let that out, amen? We get filled up here. We get trained here. Why? Because the, the key opens the door so that the Holy Spirit can equip us for service. We've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The church is an access point. It's an open door. We have authority. We have a badge of spiritual authority that God stands behind. That's the church. Also, uh, we've been given the power to bind and loose. This is why this scripture is so important to understand that this is not, Matthew 16 is not about making a man the head of the church. It's about letting the church understand the authority they have, that we have keys, that we have a badge, that God stands behind us, and also we have the power to bind and loose. Now, you might think, well, what does that even mean? I'm gonna explain it to you, and it's a very powerful spiritual tool. We can bind the works of darkness in Jesus' name when they come again. Against us. You can bind the works of darkness in your life, 
in your marriage, in your children's life, at your job. Come on, all of these things. These are all the areas where we're afflicted, where we got trouble, where we got problems that are reoccurring, where we got issues of sin and bondage where it never gets solved. Why is that? Because we need to take our spiritual authority and bind the powers of hell that are bringing this trouble into our lives. Come on, Wednesday night. We're supposed to have abundant life. We're living so far below what Jesus died to give us. And you say, well, why doesn't he do something? Because he gave us the keys, because he gave us the power to bind and to loose. And it's up to us to take that authority that he's given us and to subdue the earth. We can bind the works of darkness in any situation. Whatever you're going through, whatever problems with your marriage, your children, your family, your job, begin to bind all of those spirits that are behind the trouble in Jesus' name, and you will bring them to a quick halt. We can also loose, so we can bind and we can loose. We can loose people from the snare of sin. When people come to church and they hear the truth, when they come to the altar and we lay hands on them, when we take oil and we anoint the sick, we can loose people from the bondage that the enemy has put them in. So not only can we bind, but we can loose, and we need to use that loosing power. We need to lay hands on the people that we love and the people that are stuck and the people that struggle and the people that are in alcoholism and drug addiction and sexual immorality. We need to lay hands on them and to loose the Holy Spirit into their lives, to open their eyes and set them free. Woo! We can bind and we can loose. We can bind the operation of demons. We can loose the incredible power of the Holy Spirit into any situation. You and I need to do that, man, in a, in a board meeting and when we're with our workers, whatever's going on, there's times where we're, we can feel the demonic. We can feel the heaviness. Come on, you ever walk into your job and you just you, 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 you brush with a demonic person and you feel the darkness, Bind that in Jesus' name and then loose the Holy Spirit to fill that place because you're there. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. Bonding and loosing, powerful, powerful spiritual tool. We need to use it. We need to, don't wait for somebody else to do it. Don't call up the pastor. Don't ask him to do it for you. Begin to exercise your spiritual authority, amen, so you can come to full maturity. I get called to people's house. There's something demonic here. Yeah, it is. I got to come over and cast it out. You got the same Jesus in you. Give it a whirl. So we've been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We have the right of access. We have authority. We've been given the power to bind and to loose. It wasn't given to one man to be passed down. That's nowhere in scripture. It doesn't even make sense. Uh, we have these powers from the Lord as a birthright because we're born again and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. So now listen to the forcefulness of Luke 10:19. This is a forceful scripture and there are a lot of implications here. Luke 10:19 says, "Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you." Powerful, right? Write it down tonight, Luke 10, 19. I would commit that to memory. I would get it in my spirit. Behold, Jesus talking, I give you the power to tread. We're gonna talk about that word on serpents and scorpions 
over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. This was Jesus speaking to his disciples as he sends them out. We're his disciples. We are in the world. We have the authority that comes from Christ, and so we have these same abilities. Now, we have the power to tread. Now, that might seem like a weird word, and we're using this book here, Psalm 91, the military edition. I want to read you an excerpt from it that kind of tries to give a picture of what it means to tread. It says this, the good news is that God says we will tread on all the powers of the enemy, no matter how loud and bold, sneaky and deceptive or imaginary those powers might be. God has given us the authority over them all. No longer are we to put up with the paralyzing fears that at one time gripped our hearts and left us powerless. God has given us his power of attorney, and these problems now have to submit to the authority of his name. I like the word tread. I think of a tank crossing a brushy plain. Where a tank treads go, everything underneath it is crushed and left flat on the ground. It's a great picture of our authority over our spiritual enemies as well. Treading like a tank and crushing all that is evil in our path, that is a strong description of our authority in walking over the lion, the young lion, the cobra, and the serpent. I want you to think of yourself as a tank. And where you go, you, you are crushing all the darkness in your path. You are crushing all the works of the enemy, all the attacks of the enemy. Come on, you say, well, Pastor Rick, I'm just me. You know, the, you have the seed of God in you. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come on, tread over the works of darkness. <laughs> For some of us, it's not a stretch to think that we're a tank. You know, just a few pounds difference, but... I want you to get that image in your head that you're not getting crushed by the enemy. You're crushing him. And it's because of Jesus, amen? Don't, don't think it's your own strength because then you, you, you won't believe it and you'll shrink back. But it's, it's that binding and loosing. It's that power. It's that authority. It's that badge that you have, that God stands behind you, that you're treading over the enemy. Mow down the enemy and crush him with your authority. Smash the enemy down by speaking the word of God. Did you know what Jesus did when he encountered the devil? He said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Stop talking to the devil and start quoting scripture, amen? Stop listening to the devil and start quoting scripture to him. Oh, Wednesday night. This is a Sunday service, I know. It's the middle of the week. I'm killing everybody. Notice that Jesus put no limit on our authority. He says all the power of the enemy. That should be comforting. You know, the disciples ran into that one devil, and they couldn't cast it out. Remember that? And Jesus said, this only comes by prayer and fasting. Well, now that we're in Christ and Jesus has died and he's risen and the power of his blood has shattered sin, listen, we might have to pray, we might have to fast, but we have power not over some of the power of the enemy, some of the things that the We have power over all of it. None of it has a right to touch your life. None of it has a right to touch your family. None of it has a right to touch your spouse. None of it has a right to touch your finances. Come on, I'm trying to stir up your faith tonight. You can leave the way you came, but if you get this, you won't. All the power of the enemy. Notice we've been given a complete spiritual covering. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
We spoke last week over the fact that, yes, we go through tough things. Yes, sometimes our bodies get sick. Sometimes Christians die uh, in, in tragedy. Sometimes they die in battle. Uh, but understand, that's not something that can hurt us eternally. Why? Because no matter how we die, we're going to die someday, but we're going to go into the presence of God forever. So it's not going to touch us there. There's, there's not going to be anybody in heaven w- with a cough or with COVID or in a wheelchair or with glasses. Who's ready to get rid of their glasses? Come on. This stuff on earth can only touch us on earth, but we're protected because we're heading to eternity with God. So we have power over all the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Get Luke 10, 19 in your heart. Get it in there deep and understand the spiritual authority you have. Now, back to our text in Psalm 91, as we're looking at just one verse tonight. It's verse 13, and I want to read it to you one more time, and we're going to close by defining Uh, What the psalmist is talking about here, as he says, you will tread upon the lion and cobra, the young lion and the serpent, you will trample down. Anybody come across a cobra today? Anybody run into a lion on your way to the mailbox? How about a serpent as you were going to the refrigerator? Some of us need a serpent in the refrigerator. Stay away from the refrigerator. It's worth a try, right? (laughs) But obviously what's being said here is imagery. You know, unless you live in some part of sub-Saharan Africa where you're running into lions and young lions, you know, you say, well, thank God we don't have any of these things to worry about here. I haven't seen a snake in such a long time. And, And it's saying more than that. These are four types of demonic attacks that we face daily as believers. And I'm gonna outline what these what these symbols represent here. You know, they're mentioning some members of the animal kingdom and the reptile kingdom, and they're using them as symbols of demonic attacks. Here are four types of demonic attacks that are represented here. Number one, lion attacks. If you're taking notes today, write it down. Lion attacks. Lions are said to be the king of the jungle. They're fierce, they're territorial, they're fearless in many ways, and they'll stand their ground against almost all other animals. Now, the truth is, we've been told that the lion's the king of the jungle, but that's not true at all. If you know anything about African game, a cape buffalo will whip a lion. I mean, he will beat the brakes off a lion. With, the, with their horns, they're 4,000 pounds. These cape buffaloes will catch a lion under its belly, disembowel it, lift it in the air, and flip it over three times, and it'll land dead. You know what? Else will dispatch a lion with great prejudice, an elephant. An elephant will stomp a lion into, I mean, they can fill potholes with them when they're done with them. So we've been told that the lion's the king, but it's not necessarily true. Uh, There are also snakes that'll kill a lion in one bite. Black mamba's venom is it's a neurotoxin that's so deadly, one drop of it will kill 30 full-grown men. So the lion's not really the king, but we've been told that. So let's take a look at this. They're fierce, they're territorial, they work in packs together. Uh, But understand something, lions uh, will attack us in a way that's bold, with authority. They'll try and bully us. Uh, They'll try and, you know, intimidate us. That's the way a lion works. He uses his roar. He uses the pack. He uses his mane to puff himself up to make him look bigger than he is. You know, if you shave a lion, they don't look quite as impressive anymore. An adult African lion can grow... 600 pounds, yeah, and it's, it's definitely a big animal, not necessarily the king, but understand, the enemy comes at us like a lion. 
he roars, he puffs himself up, he tries to intimidate us, he packs up on us. Come on, is anybody getting this? We come across this spirit all day long. James 4, 7 says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When we resist the lion attack by not running away, by not being scared, by not being intimidated, but we stand against it in Jesus' name, that lion is going to break and he's going to stop the attack and he's going to flee from us. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, you got to pay attention to the, word, the words there. He sa- it doesn't say he prowls around at, because he's a lion. He says it's like a lion. You getting this? The devil's defeated. If he's a lion, he's a broken-down, sickly, toothless one. He's got no bite. He's got no claws. Why? Because Jesus broke the power of sin on Calvary's cross. And when he rose again from the dead, he liberated captivity. He's got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Come on. The devil is a defeated foe. So the lion tries to make himself look like more than he is. And, you know, he'll use people to try and intimidate you, to try and bully you to try and get you to shrink back but if you stand up against a lion attack remember he's just pretending to be one so when you call his bluff he's going to flee from you okay let's move on tonight how about cobra attacks anybody know cobras today anybody see any thought i saw one in the garden you saw a snake today i saw a worm that's all i saw but cobras don't hang out in the western hemisphere here but They are a serious problem in other places. Now, while the lion will come at you loud and large, and, you know, he'll try and intimidate you, he'll come at you head on, the cobra is subtle and sneaky. And this is what I want you to see. Cobra attacks are sneak attacks. Uh, You know, the, the, the cobra is the proverbial snake in the grass that we have to worry about. Now, the enemy often hits us with surprise attacks. And how we respond to a surprise attack where, you know, we don't see it coming, we don't hear it coming, we don't get to prepare ourselves with it, it's more of a reflex. And the enemy loves to surprise us because many times we don't catch our balance and we get scared in the natural and we don't exercise our faith. How many times a day is everything going good, everything's going fine, and then boom, out of nowhere, surprise attack, and your whole day is spinning out of control? It could be a financial disaster, a car accident, a a lawsuit. All of these things that seem to come out of nowhere. Cobra attacks. Guard yourself against the proverbial snake in the grass, the sneaky things, the attacks that come and surprise you and challenge your faith, the things that challenge your marriage, the things that, that attack your children out of nowhere, the things that come and try to shake your commitment for Christ. You and I have to be so prayed up and so full of the Holy Spirit that when we're attacked, there is no element of surprise. You see, the person who gets bowled over by a cobra attack is a person who's not in the Word, who's not in prayer, who's not in church, and who's busy doing everything else but the, with the will of God for their life. Those are the, you know, the people who are not here on Wednesday. We're talking about them. But you hear what I'm saying, right? It's too dark. It's too dangerous to stay out of the word and to not be prayed up and to not be vigilant, not be 
watching what's going around us because those cobra attacks are coming. You and I should work to the place where we're so spiritually mature that we don't even get surprised anymore when the enemy comes at us because it happens all day long. But we should rise up in faith, use our spiritual authority, and rebuke that attack in Jesus' name, and it will have to, it will have to shrink back. Let's look at some young lions here. It's not enough that, you know, we figured out how to deal with lions. What's the big deal about young lions? This attack becomes dangerous because we ignore the danger of the young lion and perceive it as not a threat. And this is the attack that, you know, where it's, it's a little thing or it's, it's a little sin or it's a little compromise. Come on. It's a young lion. It's not really a threat. It's kind of cute. It's Simba. Come on. And we don't take it seriously. And before we know it, that little thing that we ignored grows into a full-grown lion, and it's a big thing, and we've gotten so comfortable with it that now it has an advantage over us. You and I have to be careful of the little foxes. There's no little sin. There's no little white lies. There's no little compromise. There's no, I'm just a little drunk. I'm just a little bit high. I'm just, I just look at a little bit of pornography. No, listen to me. Don't mess with the young lions because that pet's going to grow up into a monster and it's going to try and kill you. The serpent attacks. Let's cover the last one. Some versions say a dragon. If you look at that word that's, uh, translated dragon or serpent, and you do a word study on it, 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 the meaning is a sea monster. It talks about like a leviathan. Those of you who have studied some of the imagery that is used in the Old Testament, the leviathan spirit, uh, it's, it's basically a, a dragon or a sea monster, you know, something like that. And I want, I want to say something about dragons and sea monsters. They, they're not real. And so this is the attack of our imaginations. We're attacked by something that's not real, and it brings real fear into our lives. You know, most of the things we worry about never happen. Statistically, most of the things people fear and worry about don't even come to pass. So these serpent attacks or these dragon attacks are us worrying about things that aren't even real, that aren't even happening, but they're fabrications in our mind that the enemy's planted there to put fear in us. Now, unlike the sneakiness of the cobra, the serpent comes at us more like a lion. And even in how the enemy approached Eve, he didn't sneak up on her. He didn't say boo. He didn't try and intimidate her. No, he conversed with her. Listen to me. If you allow the serpent to whisper in your ear, if you converse and entertain the ideas that he drops into your heart, eventually he will deceive you. And that's the nature of the serpent and the, and the dragon and the sea monster that don't exist. So it's being afraid of things that aren't even real, and then it's allowing the enemy to speak into our situation until he deceives us. Don't entertain the devil. Don't listen to him. Don't converse with him. Don't argue with him. Rebuke him in Jesus' name. Bind him in Jesus' name. And loose the Holy Spirit to protect and cover your mind. If Eve never would have spoke to the devil, if Adam would have pulled her away by the hand and said, don't talk to him, if they would have both done the right thing, we would be in the garden right now. I don't know what you're going to do when you meet Adam and Eve. I got a couple ideas. 
Don't make deals with the devil. Don't dance with the devil. Don't listen to the devil. Rebuke him. Drive him away in Jesus' name. So we have the lion attacks, the cobra attacks, the young lion, and the serpent or the dragon, however you want to interpret that there. Uh, These are the ways that the enemy comes at us all day long. You and I need to exercise our spiritual authority over him. You and I need to be mature enough to recognize the attacks and to stand in faith. Amen. Use the keys that you have. Use the binding and loosing power that you have. Allow the Holy Spirit to rise up in you and push back the darkness in Jesus' name. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you for Psalm 91. I thank you for verse 13. Lord, I thank you for all the truth that you've just allowed us to enjoy here tonight, all the principles. Father, tuck something into each of our hearts according to your purpose in our lives. Don't let any of us leave here without a deposit from you. And Father, I pray that tomorrow morning when we wake up, we'd have a sense of who we are in Christ and that we would begin to exercise our spiritual authority where there's trouble and bondage and sin and brokenness and dissension in our lives. Would we begin to use those keys and our binding and loosing power and we would watch things change by the power of Jesus' name. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.